you will, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts chapter 2. Find your place there and then go to the book of 1 John chapter 1. It is so good to be with you today. Excited about the chance just to share with you from God's Word. While you're finding your way there, we... we uh, uh, Charlene was... Uh, a lot of times I'll say to her, did you sleep good last night? How did everything good? And she said, yes, I slept good, except I had this dream, and it really was a very hard dream. I said, well, tell me about your dream. She says, I dreamed that I was driving, and I kept hitting cars. I'd hit cars to the right and cars to the left, and I just hitting everything in sight. I said, well, don't it was just a dream. Don't worry about it. I said, yeah, it's okay. She said, but the strange thing about the dream was that I was sitting in the back seat. Now, guys, I had to think about the interpretation of that dream for just a moment. I said, you know, I can help you with that, Charlene. You need to be quit, quit, quit telling me how to drive. <laughs> that won't be all right. No, man. Well, if you find your way to the book of Acts chapter 2, we've been talking about discipleship and what it means to be a disciple of Christ from his perspective, what's really important to him. The absolute necessity of fellowship is critical to being a disciple of Christ. You say, Pastor, I'm all for that. I'm all for all the potlucks and watermelon we can eat. Would it surprise you to know it has nothing to do with food and fellowship that the Bible talks about? It has nothing to do with food. It has much more to do with who we are toward each other and in Christ. So, as we look at this, I want to read from verse 42 of Acts chapter 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and then to the breaking of bread and to prayers. They had devoted themselves to the teaching of the word, but also to the fellowship of believers, of the body of Christ at Jerusalem, of the local assembly that met, the beginning of the church as we know it. Now, I want you to go to 1 John chapter 1 as you found your way there, and I'm going to read it verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, and we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life he's talking about is Jesus Christ, guys. Can you see John as he's writing this letter? I saw this man, Jesus, the Son of God. I, I listened to his words with my own ears. I, I felt him and I touched him with my own hands. And we ate together. We talked together. We traveled together. He said, we had, an, we had a relationship. And also, he's going to say more about that. Look what he says. This life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and which was made manifest to us. Again, Jesus Christ. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. Koinonia, with us. That's the Greek term. Look further. And indeed our fellowship, our koinonia is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. He says, I'm writing to you about this necessity of fellowship, the absolute of fellowship, and I'm going to finish writing about it in these following chapters, 
that your joy may be complete, lacking nothing, that you may have an overflow of joy in your life. That's what it's talking about. The journey, as I've put in your notes, the journey in becoming a mature and dynamic follower of Christ involves authentic fellowship and real relationships. Has nothing to do with how much we can eat. It has to do with how much we respond to one another. In understanding this, here's what I want you to get. There's two things I want you to take note of today. If the Greek term koinonia means to share something in common, to have a shared relationship, a shared life, then how does that live out for you and for me? First of all, I want you to take note, our fellowship begins with an expression of faith and an experience of grace in Christ Jesus. This is where it starts. That's what John said. See, Acts 2, that was about those people who had responded to the preaching of Peter and they had trusted Christ. And now they had become devoted to the fellowship and the teaching of the word and prayer and the breaking of bread. They did eat together. They, but they also came together spiritually to have spiritual fellowship. And so he's saying, how does that start? How do we do that? It starts with having fellowship with Christ and God the Father. John said, I have fellowship with you as a fellow believer in Christ because I have fellowship with God. Now, something has to happen that's not accidental. It doesn't happen by the process of just hanging around. It requires an act of faith that allows you to believe what God did in the person of Christ for your sin, that Jesus came and died on the cross for your sin, for my sin, the sins of the world. And if I can put my faith toward that, identify with his sacrifice for my sin, I can establish a relationship with Christ. You see, there's two things that need to happen for us to have that fellowship in Christ and God. We First of all, we have to have a union with God through Christ. There has to be a union. Meaning, we have to have a spiritual birth. Again, koinonia means something in common. Until I have a spiritual birth, I have absolutely nothing in common with God. Nothing. 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 Oh, I can know about him. I can sing about him. I can talk about him, but I have nothing in common with him. Because he is spiritual. He's spirit. I have to have a spiritual Common denominator, that comes from a spiritual birth. When Nicodemus came to Jesus and said, okay, how can I have eternal life? Man, how can I go to heaven when I die? How can I be with you forever? Jesus said, you must be born again. Plain and simple, you must be born again. You got to have a spiritual birth. There can be no union with God without spiritual birth. I don't care how much you go to church, what church you go to, how long you've been there, that matters not. There has to be a spiritual birth if there's going to be a union with Christ. We have a spiritual life in common with God because of spiritual birth. And now as a believer in God, we can believe in who God is, what he did on the cross for us, and what he can do in our lives each and every day. We have a union because of a spiritual birth. It's a moment in time where I finally put my faith and trust in Christ and what he did on the cross. His spirit comes to live in me. And I now have a spiritual life that's in common with God. Let me ask you a question. Do you have that union with Christ? John said it's essential. If I will have joy, I must have that union. But that's not all. I must have also communion with God. And I have communion with Christ. Now, 
Let me explain how that works. Union is important. Without union, you cannot have communion. But union is not an end unto itself. Let me give an illustration. Years ago, I stood before a pastor with my hands outstretched, holding the hands of Charlene. I was dressed in a tuck. She was dressed in a beautiful bridal gown. And we said our vows to one another and we had union. All of a sudden, we now formally had a union with one another. We said our vows. The pastor said, I pronounce you husband and wife. You may kiss your bride. And that was our union. Now, guys, I enjoyed that. was a great day. But I'm going to be real honest with you. I was looking far more forward to the communion than the union. I mean, the union was great. But I, wanted to, I was excited about the communion. We were going to spend the rest of our lives together. We were going to grow together. And we were going to spend time together. And we were going to go on adventures together. And, and, and we were going to grow through challenges together and difficulties together. Please understand that our joy is complete as not only we have union with Christ, but we have communion with Christ. That we have fellowship. That's what it is. I have something in common. Now, every day I have something in common with Christ because he's a part of my life. Now, I, I begin to realize that he'll always be with me no matter what. He'll always love me. He'll never leave me. And he's getting us ready for eternity with him to fulfill our destiny. So every day I have something in common. He's working in my life for my good, for his glory. And, and no matter what comes my way, whether it's a good day or a bad day, I can realize he's working in my life. Life, that we're in this thing together, that I'll never be without him no matter what I face or how I fail. He will come to me and, and draw me back to him, strengthen me, and, and, and bring uh, renewal to my life. He will bring restoration to my life. That's what the 23rd Psalm is all about. That's a psalm of being in communion with God. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Man, it's about communion, fellowship. And that comes as I walk daily with the Lord. I look in the Bible and I see so many illustrations of communion. Job was in communion with God in the midst of great suffering. You say, Pastor, why do you say that? Because he was talking to God the whole time. He was saying, God, I don't understand. God, can you explain this to me? God, can you help me realize what's going on? Why is this happening to me? But at least he was talking to God. He was interacting. He was trying to find answers. He was open to listen to what God would say, and God responded, talking about who he was. He began to grow in his knowledge and understanding of who God was and what he could do, while God never answered his question. I think that's an amazing illustration of communion. In the deepest of valleys, God will be there. In the highest of mountaintops, God will be there. And I need to know that he's there for both, and therefore I can have that time. David had that communion. That's how he got to write the Psalms. Noah had that communion. Abraham, we look and we look and we see. Can I tell you, one of our favorite hymns we sing is Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. It was written by John Newton. Now, we like that first verse because it talks about how he saved a wretch like us, and that is grace. Okay? And it's the beginning point. It's our union. Verse 1 is our union. And you go to verse 3, which is amazing because now it's talking about the journey the communion of our life through many dangers, toils, and snares. I have already come to his grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. 
He's saying, man, I've got this union with God that leads to daily communion no matter what the battlefield, what the conflict, what the crisis, what the circumstance. I know he's going to get me through safely home because we're talking daily. We're walking together in the spirit and we have the common truth of a spiritual life. That's what we need to understand about where fellowship really begins. It begins with God. Too many believers are living in union but not experiencing communion with Christ. I mean, we've been saved. We, got, we know that, but we aren't doing anything beyond that. We're not walking with him like we should. We're not praying to him as we need to be praying on a daily basis, seeking uh, conversation with him. We're not in his word. You see, if we, if we realize this, if, if I want to be in with Christ, I've got to have a prayer life. So I'm talking to him. And then I've got to be reading his word so I can listen to him. And I need to be worshiping him so that I can adore him. And then I've got to be ministering for him that I can serve him and have a shared life with other believers in Christ. This is how communion works. Please hear me. I'm so excited you come on Sunday morning to worship. But guys, if this is all you do for the week, your joy will never be complete. I'm sorry. I, I wish I, it just won't. I, I, you can come and say, man, that choir blew the roof off today and the pastor, he did a good job and it was a great day to be at church. And that's if all you've done, your joy will never be complete if that's all you do. You must have fellowship with the Father regularly, daily. Listening to Him, sensing His presence. Sensing his direction in your life. But that's the, the second thing I want to talk to you about is this. Our fellowship flows to one another in our burdens and our blessings. John says, not only do we have fellowship with the Father through Jesus, but now you can have fellowship with us and our joy will be complete in our fellowship. You see, we too must have a union together as believers. It's called the local fellowship or the local church or the local assembly. Here we call it First Baptist Lindale, where we come locally together and meet. And it is a body of believers who fellowship with the common ground of having Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. He's the foundation upon which we build our lives. Everything we do here, everything we try to do is built on the fact of who Jesus is and what he's done and how he wants us to live. It's, it's local. Hebrews 13 talks about forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as some do. Why is that? Because it is necessary to have the fellowship locally together as a body of believers. Your fellowship is a part of your worship service. It's a part of your small group. We call it Sunday school. It's a part of discipleship training as you grow and develop your own spiritual maturity. It's a part of working together and serving together. You see, that's the union we have as we come together. The depth of our fellowship with God determines the flow of our fellowship to others. Our flow is evident in how we worship. Man, does our cup run over when we come to worship? Can we not help but sing? Wasn't the singing great today and, and the songs were awesome as we talked about Jesus and we thought about him and we lifted him up and we celebrated how he touched us. That should be flowing from a heart that's been intimate with God all week long. may have been a hard week. You may have been saying, God, I don't know if I'm going to make it another day. I don't know if I can stand another hour. God, if you don't do something. And yet you made it through the week, didn't you? And God didn't leave you without his presence. 
And so you find that we come together and we have this overflow. Lord, I've had a bad week, but I want to think about you. Think about your love, how much you love me, how you saved me. So joy begins to flow because all week long we've kind of been getting ready for Sunday. We come to worship out of overflow. How our, 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 our flow of fellowship and communion is evident in how we give to the Lord and to each other. Giving. As he gives to me, I need to let it flow and give to others. Giving involves your time. How do you invest your time in others? In ministry and care and prayer and, and so forth. How do you invest your giving through the tithe? And offerings above the tithe. Both are biblical. And both are a part of saying, God, you've blessed me. I just want to be a blessing to others as I give. Now, he set the system up. I didn't. And I promise you, if he set the system up, it's because it's supposed to work effectively for our blessing and our joy. So if I don't really give as I should, my joy is not going to be complete. And you keep thinking, wonder why I just did Well, you might want to look at, is, are you overflowing in the giving department? Because if not, eventually you're going to go, man, something's wrong. Something's missing in my life. I go to church every Sunday. I'm in Sunday school. What about your giving? And not only that, cheerfully and give cheerfully and sacrificially, uh, how much we care for others. So that is simply our union. He designed the local body to be where we grow. Now, I know there's the global church and there's the local church. Please hear me. The global church cannot be effective unless the local church is effective. If the local church ceases to be effective in fellowship, there will be no effectiveness of the global church. I said as a Southern Baptist, we support 10,000 missionaries around the world, around the, throughout the country, around the world. Man, we, but that only works because our churches are healthy here at home where we can grow and build and receive offerings and, and give portions of our offerings and our tithes in such a way that we support the global work of the kingdom of God around the world. If our churches become unhealthy, that diminishes and it affects the global work of the kingdom. We understand the importance of the local assembly and the fellowship we need to be effective. So now let me go to our communion. As believers, we have a fellowship in the power of the Holy Spirit and the purpose of God to be kingdom people. He's told us to do some things. Uh, he said, number one, I just, he said, I want you to, to love one another. John 13, 34 through 35 says, love one another. That means with a fervent love, stretching yourself to love one another. doesn't mean it's convenient or easy. It means it's somewhat of a challenge to love one another. I stretch myself to love you. I, I step out of my comfort zone. I, I, I do something that's maybe not characteristic for me. It's not based on a feeling. It's based on an action that I stretch myself for your sake. Stretching ourselves for the sake of others. That means I am going to maybe take, take a leadership role or responsibility. Guys, to love one another is very important. I see this, to, to, to serve one another. Galatians 5, uh, 
13 says, serve one another. Minister to one another. That's how we have fellowship. It's not about how much food we eat. It's how much we love one another, how much we serve one another. And thirdly, how much we encourage one another. First Thessalonians 5.11 says to encourage one another. Build one another up. Strengthen one another. That means I really need your touch in my life. Your life needs to touch my life that I can be encouraged. And, and perhaps my life is touch yours and serve that you can be fulfilled. And all these things come together in the body of Christ. That's called fellowship. That we come around the common ground of Jesus Christ, our foundation for salvation. And then we live out our faith with each other. We share how Jesus works in our lives. We share how we struggle. We share what we need. We share what we'd like to do. We share our dreams. We share our fears. We have fellowship. That's the body of Christ. That's how it works. We encourage one another. Isolation prohibits fellowship. Involvement promotes fellowship. You need to write that down. That's not in your notes. You need to write that down. Isolation prohibits fellowship. When you withdraw, when you don't plug into the body of Christ as you should, you're prohibiting fellowship in your life and the lives of the church locally. And then involvement promotes fellowship. If I become involved with my gifts and my giving and my, my time and my, my spiritual gifts, all of a sudden I am promoting the health of the church and the fellowship and we become more effective for the glory of God. We work together. Now, so you carve out time to be with God. You carve out time to be with believers. We come together in fellowship at a worship hour, in a Sunday school class, at a discipleship class. And yes, even at special events that we may do where we're trying to magnify Jesus. Part of fellowship. Fellowship is more than eating. Guys, I want to tell you, fellowship is about doing things together in cooperation and helping each other accomplish God's desire for our church. If you read in the bulletin, I hope you have, that this Wednesday night we're going to be talking about uh, the educational building over here, which primarily holds our nursery, preschool, and children, uh, where our children's ministry takes place, predominantly through Sunday school and a lot of other events. And, and Guys, it's been a great building, but it sure is old. It needs a facelift. It needs some, some rejuvenation. It's time we bring it to the 21st century. I'm, you know, and you're going, hey. Now, let me tell you what fellowship is. Please hear me. Fellowship is kind of saying, okay, let's get together and make it happen. So, Wednesday night, we're going to discuss what we're going to try to do over there, all right? And we're also going to talk about a, doing something with the basement area, the CLC, that's going to allow us to enlarge ministry opportunity and make some things happen. Uh, guys, we need to be doing these things. Both these things are very important. They're, they're a part of many things we need to do. I understand that. But you've got to start somewhere, and that's a good place to start. Create a little more space, opportunity to grow, and minister through social ministries. I think that's great. I think that's God's ordained us to do that. I think certainly ministering to our children has got what God's ordained. And so we look at those two things, and so we're going to come together, and we're going to talk about them. 
Now, believe it or not, that's how the church fellowships, incidentally. We come together and we say, man, what could God possibly do? And begin to dream and realize what he could do. And I hope, you know, that's not all that he will ever do or could do. But then we're also going to talk about how to pay for it because it ain't free. Can I get an amen? Oh, y'all think think it's free, don't you? Because y'all didn't say amen. It ain't ain't free. It requires us coming together in fellowship and doing what needs to be done in sacrificial giving. Fellowship's not, it's a lot more than eating. We're going to talk about it. And just so you'll know, it's probably going to be over $100,000. So we really would appreciate your fellowship. And I want to tell you what amazes me. Can I say this? I love you guys. I do. I, I love being your pastor. I love you. But I'm amazed that, that we don't sometimes show up for the things we should show up for. Because this is a thing that we're going to do together. You hear me? It's again, we're going to do together. We're going to come together. We're going to pray about it. We're going to see what God will do. And we're going to trust God. And we're going to step out on faith. All these things are incidentally a part of our fellowship as a body of believers. We don't need to ignore that or leave it to chance. So I, I want to invite you to a fellowship Wednesday night. We'll have a good time. Oh, we will have a good time. It's exciting to see what God will do. Talk about the things he can do. I don't want to miss that. Shoot, you need to be here for that. We fellowship. We have communion with one another around the things of God, doing the things of God together, and even sacrificing together as was evident in the, in, the, in the Bible. I want to take you to one other text and, and look at this and, and kind, of, kind of close with this. I, in Romans twelve fifteen it says this. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Well, that's a, that's a, that verse says a lot, doesn't it? You know what it says? He's talking about fellowship. He's talking about the communion of believers in Christ. He's writing... To the Romans saying, guys, y'all need, to, y'all need to cry with one another, you need to laugh with one another. Both are important. Do you know why he says this? Because no one should ever cry alone in the body of Christ. No one should ever cry alone in the body of Christ, ever. And we shouldn't laugh alone either. Because we're in fellowship. We're connected to one another. And what hurts you hurts me, and what makes me glad or makes you glad should make me glad, and we begin to experience these things together. See, if we isolate ourselves, or if we don't really involve ourselves in the body of Christ as we should, we aren't crying with people we need to cry with them. And you know what the tragedy is? One day you're going to cry, and you're going to wonder why nobody's crying with you. It's because you ain't never cried with anybody. The law of the harvest says you reap what you sow. It's all about communion and fellowship. You don't let others cry alone because you never want to cry alone. This past week, probably actually last, into last week, uh, finished up Bible study on Wednesday night here and talked to some people and got some things done. And I was driving home. It was, it was like uh, almost 9 o'clock, and I felt real impressed to go by and, and pray uh, with a longtime friend, family, and, and uh, 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 Amy and her family. And I felt led to go by and pray with them. 
just impressed. And I knew it was late and going on. And I thought about calling. But I said, if I call, I know she hasn't been feeling good because of her liver issues. And she's very, very sick. And I, they'll tell me not to come. So I don't want to do that. I'm going to show up on the doorstep, look pitiful, and they'll let me in. And so I showed up on the doorstep, and they thought I was somebody else. Come on in. And when I turned the corner, they were kind of shocked to see me. And I said, man, I just want to come by and pray with you. You're on my heart. The, I did not realize it, but they had assembled. All the family was there. And then they said, well, it's so amazing you came by. Her pastor also called and said, I want to come by and pray for you. I feel led to do that tonight. And so when he showed up, we had a time of prayer. We circled together. I held her hand and held his hand. And we all joined hands and we began to pray. He so graciously let me start. I began to pray. And I held the hand of this dear, beautiful lady who had, the life is literally being drawn out of her by her liver. She's sick. She can't function. She's desperate. She's crying. So I just began to cry with her. Because her pain was that real. And all around the room, they're crying. I'm crying because the parents are crying and her brother's crying. And, 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 and her, it's just a time of we're crying one another because the pain's that real. We're, but we're having amazing fellowship. We didn't eat a bite of food, but we had fellowship. It came to her and she prayed last. She wanted to finish up. I, and I'll never forget the word she said. She said, as she started praying, dear God, first of all, I want to thank you for the greatest gift you've ever given me, my salvation. So I began to bawl all over the place. Then I was crying, man. I, man, it was just awful. And Lord, I, I, I'm so desperate. I'm so tired. She'd been waiting 10 days for a transplant. She was on the top of the list in Georgia. Been waiting 10 days and yet nothing, not a phone call, not a every day go by. Each day seemed longer. She said, God, I got to have a miracle. And then she began to pray, but Lord, I, I, I know that someone's got to die and I don't know. I pray that they're saved. And she began to pray for the person. And, and, and it's amazing as we were just sitting there crying. Because, guys, nobody should cry alone in the body of Christ. We finished up, and we, man, I said, God's going to do something I know he is. Headed out of town the next day, and I'd, I'd touch base with Corey and call, and said, what's going on? We heard everything. Well, i never forget, it was, a, it was like 10 o'clock, and he calls and says, hey, we're heading to the hospital. We're heading to the hospital. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Glory. And so they, they got there, and and they had to wait for like a day and a half, and, and I'm just touching base to see how it's going. And, and so they, they did the transplant. And so coming back Thursday night, it was late, and I just, but I wanted to slip in and see her. So I went to Piedmont Hospital, and, and uh, I kind of had to slip in because it was 9 o'clock, and there wasn't visiting hours. And so I tried to act like I knew where I was going and didn't. But... It wandered all over the place, and finally, uh, I found where I needed to be, and and I uh, went into the room, and I saw Amy laughing, talking, energetic. Man, she's like a new person. And we had a different prayer, 
Now we join hands and say, look, I, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm past business hours. I can't stay long. I just want to come see you because I heard you were doing good. I wanted to see it. And she said, well, I'm doing great. I said, well, let me have a prayer of Thanksgiving. Now it's a different kind of prayer. Now we're laughing together. Man, we're laughing. Man, we're excited. We're praising God. And it's all because no one should laugh alone either. He's designed us to be like this with each other. To love one another, care for one another, encourage one another. To work together with one another. To sacrifice together. To stretch ourselves together in the local body and assembly of the church. He's giving me three messages. I'm going to preach those later. But I'm telling you, I think sometimes our joy is not complete because we're not experiencing fellowship. Oh, we're showing up for church, but we're not experiencing fellowship. Your heart's not touching someone else's heart. Your life's not benefiting someone else's life. That's how the body of Christ works. That's what church is all about. We do not have our fellowship is not based on our church constitution, on our style of worship, on our staff, on our programs. Those are all important. Don't get me wrong. But none of that creates fellowship. What creates fellowship is we come together on our common relationship with Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit and we begin to live out our faith together. When one hurts, we all hurt. When we laugh, we all laugh. We journey together. Guys, that's the fellowship the world's looking for. If you find a church that has that kind of fellowship, they're going to draw people to them because the world is starving for that reality and that authenticity in life. We have it. Let's keep it growing. 